that Europe finds itself at the front of the storm is not something new. The world of tomorrow will be a different place. It's good that Europe is ambitious in climate policy. We should be ambitious, but also realistic. Our task is to learn to live within the boundaries Mother Earth has given us. Only united we can defend our values, we can protect the interests of our citizens. Hello there and welcome to Citizen Central, the podcast series about the first transnational democracy instrument in the world, the European Citizens Initiative. The ECI gives people the chance to pitch their own EU policies to the European Commission by gathering one million signatures from seven EU states. My name is Manix Rikartikawi and on Citizen Central I'll be finding out how the ECI works, how you can launch or support an initiative and what drives people to give up their time and energy for a cause they care deeply about. In today's chapter, we will bring the second season of Citizen Central to an end, but we will do it with a bang. We will kick off in Milan meeting Filippo Borsellino, who with his ECI and the Slaughter Age is asking the Commission to defer European livestock agriculture subsidies to cultured meat alternatives in order to protect the environment while providing the society with a healthy protein source without harming animals. Then we will head over to Brussels where we will meet Elise Fleury, a campaigner for animal rights who with her ECI Fur Free Europe is asking the Commission to ban fur farming and trading in the EU. Open any IPCC report and it is clear that our diet, our animal sourced protein, is impacting the climate. Europe is a big meat producing region and Europeans are some of the heavier meat consumers in the world. So let's head over now to Milan to meet our first guest of this chapter of Citizen Central. Filippo Borsellino, thanks for joining us on Citizen Central and please tell our listeners who you are and what you do. Okay, uh, hello to everyone. Thank you to have me here. I am a vegan activist and I work as a political communicator here in Italy. I became vegan when I was like 25 and now I'm meeting uh, guys and girls uh, that are just maybe 17, 18 or 19 that uh, they are already vegan. So for me it's a really good thing to see. Filippo, veganism is really picking up in recent years, but the reasons for this veganism often vary, especially when speaking to younger vegan citizens. So how did you become a vegan? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it depends. Now maybe most of people are becoming vegan because of the environment. They care about the planet. They know that uh, the meat industry is uh, destroying the world. So maybe this is the first step that make people come uh, to the vegan world. For me, I used to love meat and I used to hate vegans. <laughs> I really hate vegan, but uh, now I became one of them because um, now I care about animals. I know what uh, they're living uh, 
every day, so I just can't uh, close my eyes. That's my point. It sounds like quite a change in your own life. So what are you asking the Commission for with your ECI and the slaughter age? We want to move the money of our tax from animal farming to the vegetable farms and the, the agriculture of cells. I mean products like the clean meat or clean milk and these kind of products are so much better than the traditional one because they don't have any kind of antibiotics, they don't have a heavy impact on the planet, so it's a win-win situation. This kind of initiative uh, it's like um, a compromise to our world to the vegan world with the omnivore world okay let's create uh, a product system that uh, do not harm animals do not harm planets and especially do not harm people this is probably a big relief for our listeners you are not asking europe to go vegan but for the support to cultured meat and agricultural innovation to be multiplied but how exactly is this meat created, Philippe? You just take um, some cells from the animals, so you put in this bioreactor, you feed this cell with some vegetab- a vegetable soup until you create the muscle that is consumed uh, on, uh, on the table. And this is really nice because um, you have the 90% less of CO2 emissions you, you use the 95% of water less and you don't use land. Filippo, some people might say this is anti-natural. Now we are talking with a laptop, through a laptop. It's anti-natural. It's just an evolution to our way to communicate. The same thing of food. We're just having an evolution of our way to eat. We used to live in a cave. Now we're living in the house. It's just an evolution of us. I think that clean meat, it's our way to, to grow up as a species. Okay, very well argumented, but would this not make meat really expensive? Mm, Not really, actually, it always depends from uh, the production. More of these products uh, is going to be produced, okay, then uh, they will spend less. Okay, and I think that it's wrong uh, using our money to destroy the planet is not uh, is not rational. It's not logical. You know what I mean. In the future, uh, most of us uh, will have uh, this kind of machine that will be really little in our house. So we just create uh, our own meat uh, as we like uh, on our house. This is going to happen. So. Maybe it will not happen with uh, this HE, but it will happen in a few years. Filippo, I have to ask, what will this mean for farmers? I am sure that those farmers listening to you are getting a bit scared. Well, I definitely understand the fear. Most of them uh, are running a business for uh, decades. They could feel that we want to steal uh, their job, uh, we want to steal uh, their life business. Uh, I think that uh, in the history of humans, uh, all the technologies uh, took a lot of uh, fears about uh, our job places. But we always saw that uh, humans uh, still found a way to work. And there are a lot of studies that shows how cultivated meat uh, you know, could contain the place of works. I mean, it's okay to be worried about your job, but if we still to have this kind of production, we will not have a future. It's not just a job. It's about our lives, life of all humans. 
And just to finish off, Filippo, environment obviously gets a lot of attention. It is a movement and it is very digital. But do you think as citizens we behave sustainably or do you think that we support the cause while not really changing our own behavior? I don't know if you remember, like, uh, maybe it was like two or three years ago when uh, the Amazon forests were burned. You know, and everything say on Instagram, hashtag pray for Amazon, pray for Amazon, pray for Amazon. Stop using hashtag and get informed through internet. Uh, why are we destroying that forest? Because just a simple burger make a difference. I mean, right now, eating meat, uh, you can eat meat. It's completely legal. You can do whatever you like, but uh, don't fight for the environmental. Don't fight for uh, the rights of people of uh, South America because uh, what you do has an impact, okay? It's not easy work for this kind of topic. Even for me, I mean, it would be much easier eating meat, uh, don't care about anything. This is the role of the activist of tomorrow. It's not just fight, it's living. It's make an example of what you're fighting for. You know what I mean? Filippo, I love your conviction. Best of luck for your ECI and thanks so much for joining us on Citizen Central. Grazie a te for the opportunity and thank you to everyone that listened to us. Ciao ciao! we were mentioning there, cultivated meat seems like something very futuristic, but perhaps this is not so far away in our future diets. To learn more about this technology, we now head over to the city of Pamplona in Spain to meet Javier Zaratiegui from Cocos, a food startup that is already testing new machinery and techniques to produce cultivated meat. Javier, thanks for joining us on Citizen Central and please tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself. Hello, I'm Javier. I am uh, CEO at uh, Cocus. We are based in Spain. We are a startup founded in 2017. And what we do is uh, biosynthesis of, of new food. We, we do the machinery for, for the new products that uh, large food companies are, are developing. Nowadays, uh, we have a vegan bacon or plant-based bacon out of yellow pea protein. So, but uh, we don't restrict ourselves to one product. So whenever someone with a protein comes to us, then we decide uh, together what is the market, what is the, the shape and the product that uh, we can develop. So far, we have done a whole cut of, of plant-based beef the machine for the for the plant-based bacon, for shrimps and for tuna. But the sky is the limit. You are already making me hungry, but these type of proteins are all plant-based. What about cultivated meat? How close to the sky is cultivated meat at Cocos? Well, the, f the future is not just plant-based. As you say, cultivated meat is one thing that uh, people is researching a lot. Instead of having a land, a large land for the beef to grow, to drink, and uh, instead of that, and, and killing, the specialist takes an injection, a shot of uh, some cells of the, of the animal. Those cells go to a biomass reactor. There, the cells grow and multiply. And with that paste or that outcome of a reactor, food scientists can build a little piece of, of, of beef or, or some nuggets or whatever the product comes out. So there is uh, much less resources needed instead of, of land, instead of, in terms of water. And of course, the animal is not killed. So that is one thing we are looking for, but that's not the only piece of, of the market. Plant-based is one thing, algae is another thing, fermentation is another way. So this whole spectrum 
will bring new products for, for the people, for the consumer. But the future is already here uh, in Singapore and in, in the States. Uh, you can already buy chicken grown in laboratory. Eventually will come the beef and other animals and Europe is the next. Okay, so we're already grasping this future, but if we were to transition to this source of protein, how would European nature change? Well, we are in a moment in history that we have to be aware of uh, limited resources and the impact of every technology that we do. The same that we are pushing forward the electric car. The food industry uh, is already aware that uh, there is too much uh, energy and too much uh, resources involved in growing animals and, and in feeding human beings. In the next 20 years, it's supposed to come another 2 billion people to the world, so it's, uh, it's quite a lot. Uh, we cannot continue growing animals and, and food the same ways we have done if we want to, to feed all these coming people. So there has to be new technology and a new approach to, to growing food. And this is where we come. Uh, livestock of, of beef, for example, takes uh, one cow takes 190 liters of water per day. And in the future, that can be unsustainable. So instead of waiting for that moment, we are already looking one step ahead and, and solving a problem that eventually could come. You were mentioning there other regions of the world, but here in the EU, would a change in policy assist this transformation? Well, the research uh, are already there, but the research is one thing and legislation is another thing. Things have to go in parallel because if the final result is not approved, then the funding and the research is, is slowed down. So we have already seen uh, other areas of the world accepting this new food because it's it's more sustainable. You can even enhance the, the quality of the proteins. Regular food we take, some of them, you cannot absorb the nutrients because they go to, to the, to the, to the the acids of the, of the stomach, so roughly gets 15 or 20 percent of those nutrients. So growing food in laboratory, even if it sounds weird, it will eventually be not only more sustainable for the planet, but also more beneficial for human beings. It's normal that the politicians and the regulation, regulatory, goes uh, slowly. The same that we saw with the vaccines. There has to be research before uh, giving things to, to humans. But it's something that uh, in a control area and control laboratory, if you put attention to the, all the process, the results have to come well. So it's, it's just a matter of time that the legislation comes and we see all these new products in the supermarkets. Javier, had you ever heard about the ECI? I remember the roaming initiative initiative and I was uh, happy that you contacted me because I think it's a, it's a good way of, of bringing ideas and bringing things to the table to, to the politicians. Oh, so you will be signing up for this one? Of course. Thanks so much for joining us on Citizen Central and I hope I can visit you soon and taste all of those alternative proteins. You are welcome to come. Thank you. Animals and animal origin products are an important element of our diets, but they are also key providers to our wardrobes. Furs are a traditional component of garment industries. So we now head over to Brussels to meet Elise Fleury from Fur Free Europe. Elise, thanks for joining us on Citizen Central and please tell us a little bit more about yourself. Pleasure, thanks for inviting me. So I'm Elise Fleury, I'm a senior campaigner at New Book for Animals, 
which is an advocacy organization for the uh, animal welfare. Uh, we represent about 85 uh, member organizations throughout the EU, but also a bit beyond. And uh, personally, I'm half French, half Dutch, but I'm uh, living in Brussels. So Elise, what exactly is your ECI, Fur Free Europe, asking the Commission for? So our ECI is called Fur Free Europe and we are calling for two things. First of all, a ban on fur farming, putting an end to uh, fur production within the EU, and then also a ban on the placement of uh, fur products uh, within the EU market. So basically a marketing uh, ban also, which will also mean no imports or uh, exports. Very well, Elise, but some of our listeners may be thinking this is already banned in Europe. In some member states, the fur production is already banned, but we are still having member states where there is uh, no ban or no restriction at all. And this means that, for example, with the COVID uh, crisis that we had with some COVID outbreaks in fur farms, this led to uh, some temporary bans, for example, like in Denmark. And so fur farms in Denmark went to Greece, where there is no regulation, to continue their uh, fur farming. So this shows um, that we need an EU response and not just a member state response to this issue. I know you are a very tight-knit group. So where did your ECI start from? How did you bring this team together? Well, before the ECI, before that we decided to go for the ECI, uh, we wanted to make sure that we had enough support within the network. So this meant talking with our existing member organizations, but also beyond, because an ECI really should represent all uh, citizens. So it should not be limited to our own direct network. So I started to engage with other animal welfare organizations throughout the EU, especially those who we knew were working on this issue, to see if they had an interest in joining us. We can really see a a, a difference in legislation and in the will in general uh, to do something between countries where there is no fur farming and countries where there is still. So for example, if you take the Nordic countries like Finland, etc., it's way more difficult there to get a move, although, and despite the fact that their citizens have, have already mentioned or expressed their will to stop this. But when it comes to politics, of course, everyone knows that the fur industry is quite powerful. And so um, because there is big uh, economic interest at stake, uh, you can see that in those countries where there is still this uh, industry, it is more difficult to get political progress. How has this ECI been received in the political front, Elise? Everyone agrees, or at least the majority of people also at the political level when it's about individuals, agree that um, this is an outdated practice and that this should be stopped. Nevertheless, there again, you can sometimes feel also that depending on the country of origins, it is a bit more uh, difficult. People really care about animal welfare, so has the press been very supportive? We did have a lot of coverage, especially uh, at the launch, because we did get a lot of numbers of signatures uh, within the first day, because we had about 50,000 signatures. So already with this uh, first day, uh, it attracted a lot of media attention. Also because I think it was the first time in in the European Citizen Initiative history that uh, one country met the threshold on the first day, and that was Finland, which is also very good because uh, Finland is a strategic country when it comes to fur farming. So we did get quite some coverage uh, in the EU bubble, as we say, from media, European media. And then at national level, I think it's more, it might come a bit later. Uh, For now, we're really trying more to focus on public attraction rather than media attention, because also an ECI is not a sprint, it's a marathon. And so we need to pick our battles. So for now, we're really focusing on engaging the citizens and, uh, well, get them on board. 
At least 50,000 signatures on the opening day might be an ECI record. What is the plan to reach the million signatures? First of all, it's, as I said before, is to make sure that we have as many representatives of the civil society on board. Again, this is a citizen initiative, so we're really talking in the name of the citizens. So we're really representing them throughout a strong network. So this is why uh, having as many organizations on board is essential. So one of the biggest part of the strategy was really to make sure that we had as many animal welfare organizations on board. The third issue is, of course, the main concern for us is the animal welfare aspect, but it also touches upon an environment and public health, as we meant, uh, mentioned also with, with COVID. So for us, it's really important that we really represent the citizens in this. So that was really part of the strategy. And then, well, you need to empower citizens to spread the word. So uh, the other part of the strategy was, of course, to make sure that we had enough materials and uh, that we were able to provide everyone with enough content to be able to share the message. So not just sign, but also share your message with your friends, with your family, and make sure this is really a huge movement. I have to say we are lucky enough because in the animal welfare movement, usually people who are uh, supporting an NGO active on this topic are also really engaged because they really want to make a difference. So we are lucky enough to count already a lot of activists just among you know this network of supporters of all those NGOs but yes uh, definitely it's very important that people don't just do the first step which is essential which is signing but also spread the world because it's really about making history so everyone should feel concerned. You kicked off with so much force so how is that signature collection going? Do you think the million is achievable? Actually, it's one million validated signatures that you need to get for an ECI. So you should not have the target of one million, but actually more. So we would like to have 1.4, for example, with this ECI before saying, okay, we can now submit this ECI. And of course, you need to do that within one year because that's the legal uh, timing of uh, ECI. I have to say that we can be very happy because uh, it's been a bit more than six months and and, uh, I think that uh, we should reach the 1 million. So we are all very, very happy about this. But as I said, it doesn't mean it's over yet, especially also because we know in, you know, when you work in communication, you know that the 1 million is really a symbolic threshold and people might think that now it's over. So there's no need to, to, to sign. So we will uh, have to really make sure that people understand that we need more than that. And the more, the better, of course, because if the European Commission knows that there is really a, such a strong call from its citizens on this issue, well, it will be the better uh, also to, to reach our political goal. So we're very happy, but we know it's not done. Wow, Elise. First of all, congratulations. But in this process, you have probably had to explain your ECI to people that know nothing about fur farming. So how is your initial pitch of the initiative? What do people have to have 100% clear about this practice? I think I would say that farmed animals uh, is something that we all know is a, is a reality. The problem with uh, fur farms is that we're talking about wild animals that are uh, farmed, that are uh, trapped in cages, and this is just not possible. So you cannot improve the condition of a wild animal in a cage, even if you add on uh, another 
meter in this gauge, this is not possible because it's intrinsically not compatible with their lives. So this is why even more in, in fur farms than in other farms, you will see examples of cannibalism, dead animals, animals that are really getting crazy, etc. So there is this ethical problem at first about having wild animals that are captured and uh, farmed. Then the other aspect also is that here we're not talking about things that are essential for humans to, to continue their life. I mean, maybe 100 years ago, you needed fur uh, to keep yourself warm. Now it's not the case anymore. So here it's really, we're talking about fashion. Again, it's also linked to, uh, to ethics. It is not necessary. And also we know that there are a lot of industries that, that are investing in uh, faux fur, sustainable um, materials uh, that are replacing perfectly real fur and that are harmless to the animals. So there is really no point for this uh, when it comes to uh, the life of the, the animals, but also humans who are wearing fur. As you were saying there, 100 years ago, fur farming is a traditional practice. I imagine they would say that the synthetic alternatives are not natural products. But is this the reality of farming furs? Are they really natural? No, this is clearly a bit the counter-argument from the fur industry is to say that faux fur materials are made of plastic, so they're not sustainable, etc. But actually, if you look at the facts, real fur takes much more energy to be produced and to be then uh, destroyed than, um, than faux fur products. Also, we know that nowadays, when you launch a new industry, you need to take, factor in the environmental costs, etc. So all those uh, new brands and corporates that are now investing a lot in faux fur products have this argument and uh, this conduct uh, line in mind when they, when they launch their products. But above all, at some point, it's just about ending ancient cruel practices and this should be the bottom line and then you find solutions for the fur farms to help them uh, you know uh, convert to other types of farms we have seen a lot of positive examples in italy etc there are some reports uh, covering this so you help others to change uh, but you should we should as a society accept change uh, in a positive way for example there is this uh, documentary called slay that was released in september uh, you could share the uh, the link with your audience. Uh, really shows that actually, indeed, um, it's a, it's a terrible uh, practice. Also, when it comes to environment, but people are not aware of that. You know, people are not even aware sometimes that they are wearing fur. So I'm not talking now about the people who are consciously saying no, but real fur is better. But also in general, citizens are buying sometimes, you know, like you have your winter hats with the pompon. Uh, this is usually made of uh, real fur and people don't know it. There is a lot of misinformation or no information among, uh, among people. I think most of the people don't imagine that actually to get your coat done, you need dozens of animals because it's not just a bit of an animal that you need for a coat. And they don't think that the animals are farmed for the purpose of uh, their coat. They think it's uh, a derived product. That would really say, at some point, can you really, you know, look at yourself in the mirror knowing that you're part of the suffering of um, all those animals? If you're a bit sensitive to all the, the, the fashion and, you know, how you look like, uh, be aware that most of uh, brands are now shifting to stopping uh, real fur. So you can be posh with uh, faux fur. Loud and clear, Elise. Thanks so much for joining us on Citizen Central. My pleasure, Manix. Thanks so much.
season two of Citizen Central to an end. Thanks to all our guests and of course, to you for listening. If you want to learn more about any of these guys, please check our show notes. I hope you have enjoyed the season and also learned about topics and people shaping the Europe of tomorrow. Of course, I hope you are looking forward to season three, where we will discover ongoing and new initiatives kicking off their ECI campaigns while exploring several successful initiatives of the past and their impact for each and every European citizen. I am Manix Regarte Gawi and you have been listening to Citizen Central.